From its beaches to its forests and heathlands, Suffolk is a wonderful place to visit, but a great place in which to live. And yet what makes Suffolk so fantastic isn't just its natural scenery and wonderful open skies, it's the people who inhabit this wonderful county. Suffolk is full of extraordinary people, of amazing businesses and staggeringly helpful community groups. So the reason why we've put this podcast together, the reason why we have the Suffolk Money podcast is that we have found that there are only three things we can do with money. We can spend it, we can save it, or we can give it away. So we speak with community groups and charities to which we can give. We talk with independent financial advisors and money experts about our savings. And we talk with entrepreneurs and business leaders about places in which we can spend our money. This is a series of podcasts supported by Kingsfleet Wealth Independent Financial Advisors. One of the joys and privileges of living or working in Suffolk is the ability to be able to explore the coastline and benefit from the sea and the river inlets. However, what would you do if you found a seal? One organisation that's been dealing with this for a number of years is the British Divers Marine Life Rescue. And one of its members, Joe Collins from Ipswich, has been able to talk with us to tell us a bit more about their work and their involvement so that if you should come across that situation that you will know exactly what you need to do. So the British Divers Marine Life Rescue was set up in 1988 by a group of divers that came across um, a serious outbreak of a virus um, in the or common seals in the summer I believe because uh, there was a lot of seals that were dying in front of us pretty much they had this horrible virus and there was nothing we could do and the divers who are now our trustees and have been trustees ever since set up the, um, have just gone from strength to strength including um, now rescuing whales and dolphins and just gone further and further trying to help the, the marine life that didn't seem to get much of a, a look in. So is there a limit to the marine life that you deal with or is it really just those that are particularly prevalent what what would you tend to be dealing with? We're basically trained to rescue a seal, uh, to refloat a whale and to uh, refloat a dolphin. Um, that includes mainly cetaceans. So it's any whales that we may come across, dolphins, harbour porpoises, which are more prevalent in the area, don't tend to see whales and dolphins, unfortunately, um, unless they may be uh, washed up dead on the beaches, especially at Felix, so with the shipping being so busy. Um, we can get involved a little bit with seabirds, but we won't say no. If we can't help, we'll try and find someone who can. We, because we know so many people now, we can talk, pass it on to someone who might be able to help if we can't. But it is mainly cetaceans and seals. OK, and the, the fact that it's called the British Divers Marine Life Rescue, just to be clear, does it cover the whole of the British Isles or what, what's the focus? Of we do work? cover the whole of the British Isles and we are a charity and we only have, I think it's three, maybe four members of paid staff. The rest are all volunteers. Uh, so it started off with the, with the trustees and gradually encouraging people to train as medics and it's got stronger and stronger. And now I think we've got about 3000 trained medics around the country, around the whole of the UK. 
So when you refer to a trained medic, what's what's a trained medic? <laughs> what's involved? Um, I don't know what they how they started it because I wasn't involved at the very beginning. I've only been doing it since 2012. Um, but what I am in, responsible for as a coordinator for the area is to train medics to rescue a whale, a dolphin and seal. And we do that. We used to do it with uh, lectures, three different lectures. It's uh, biology, then it's first aid and uh, a and a little bit of health and safety, that sort of thing. But now it is all done online for the lectures. And then we have a whole day of practical uh, training on the beach. We can do it in the winter, but we tend to do that with dry models. In the summer, we have whales that are models that we fill with water, which can be up to a couple of ton of water. So it's mm. equivalent to a life-size whale. And with the dolphin, we fill that with water as well, about 700 kilos there. And mm. so you have a real idea of what you're going to be doing because it's quite a dangerous thing to do, especially mm. a big whale. Uh, so yeah, we have to do that. We used to just spend the afternoon doing it, lectures in the morning and, and the practical in the afternoon, but now we have the whole day to go through it really thoroughly with the three models. And we have the little seal model full of water as well. So it's the sort of weight you would pick up a seal at. Mm. We only really deal with pups. The, the adult seal, you've probably seen them, are really big and aggressive and really difficult to manage. And they don't tend to have the difficulties that we have other than being netted or, or getting entangled. Uh, and, and then you need specialist equipment and, and a big team. Yeah, yeah. So just the, the, the medics, they're all volunteers, but they're all veterinary um, experts. They're not experts at all. They only have the one day and right. they're not really classed as uh, anything other than rescuers. Uh, we teach them a little bit of first aid, but we can't use any medicines that are um, prescribed. We need to get vets involved. Right. Um, so we are like first responders, I suppose. You know, we get a call from the public and we'll get a medic out to check it out. They'll assess the situation, they'll assess the animal, um, decide whether it needs to be picked up for um, rehab or something like that. Um, but we don't do, the medics don't make those decisions. The coordinator takes the, takes the responsibility of, of what has to happen to that animal uh, because we can't be picking up animals like seals and taking them somewhere without knowing where they can go and what treatment they need. So mm. uh, basically the coordinator decides what, is needed for that animal once they've got more information from the medic who's attending. Goodness. So let's just take an example um, of a beach, sorry, a beach, um, uh, yeah, a beach. Um, a beach with something on it. <laughs> with something on it, yeah. And let's say it's a seal. Okay. Um, what, what happens? So a member of the public alerts you or the Team. So what happens is we, our teams are all um, separated in different areas. So I cover Suffolk and Norfolk and we have a database for all the different counties with the medics who live in that area. So if we get a call, say in Felixstowe, uh, for a seal, a seal pup really, um, we have a text system where anyone who's on the database in Suffolk will get a text sent to them asking if they can help. And then they will contact the coordinator who sent that text and from there on, the coordinator organises that particular instant. So it may be one medic, it may be two. Um, we may need more later on if it's a, a relay needed to take to rehab, and we may need a vet. So the coordinator controls what that medic does, but they give us an idea of how long they'll get, it'll be before they can get there. They'll tell us what equipment they've got or what they need, and we'll go from there, really. It's a lot of communication before we can actually uh, send them on their way. Yeah, so you've got... Um this area of Norfolk and Suffolk, which is, you coordinate what, what goes on with that 
area is that right so yeah i'm responsible for training medics that cover the area i mean we do okay. get people who come and train in my area that will be on a different database but they can't particularly go to a, a training event that's in their area so they can come to mine and they'll be put on the database for the area where they live and i will coordinate any rescue um i also keep in touch with all the medics that are in my area so i know most of them quite well the regular ones i know really well and i know who who is better at going out to do what so it's you do you get to know them really well the ones who are active we have quite a few medics that train up and we don't hear from them again um, sometimes it can be university students who uh, who want to know more who are on a marine biology course and it helps them with their training there mm. um, and they may be living in land and yeah. maybe only live at home you know on the coast somewhere just when they're at home so they can't get out to it but it helps them with their course as well um, so we don't expect everyone to go out and they're volunteers so we can only expect them to go out if they're available and most people work unless they're retired which is very nice but uh, then they can go out a bit more regularly for us so, so you need really enough volunteers to cover almost seven days a week 24 hours a day well, that's right yeah some, i mean it's quite nice you've got people who work who are fle flexible hours some people work shift work and so they're available at other times but on the whole we just send a text message out or sometimes you use whatsapp and we ask who is available and they contact the coordinator and she will uh, task them to that job when it comes in. yeah so your area is stretching from the lincolnshire border and the wash is that right in it is yeah yeah right the way around to what catawade and um, Manitree sort of area yeah. yeah 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 um in the south so within that area what's the is it primarily seals that you're dealing with or it is it is i mean it was set up the, the organization was set up for seals and in our particular area there is mostly seals we occasionally get a harbour porpoise which looks a bit like a dolphin um but mostly seals yeah but, uh, but we have to be trained to rescue whales or dolphins because you never know where they're going to turn up you know things are changing and with climate change and everything you, you never know what's going to turn up and we don't necessarily know um, what identification it is either sometimes I mean we've you've probably heard about the walrus that's been right down south to the Scillies and to Ireland and, and that's unheard of you know so uh, and, yeah. and we didn't know a lot about how to deal with the walrus because it's not in our remit normally but we can easily find out from the uh, experts that we have in contact with. So if I'm not mistaken now walrus is quite happy and content and yeah I think is, it's happier than the people to... he lives with. <laughs> Two boats have been damaged, haven't they? But um, yeah, he's a wild animal, and and we have had quite a lot of uh, trouble trying to understand, get people to understand why we can't get involved. He's a wild animal. He's a big, heavy wild animal, and we'd upset his natural pattern of of what he wants to do if we got involved. And you know, he's perhaps he's just on his travels. He's feeding okay. We don't think there's any concern. It's just that he's found somewhere that uh, he likes and he, we don't expect him to be there. And we hope eventually he will travel back up to where he belongs. Yeah. But, but everyone tells me the Silly Isles are great. So why would you? I've never been. <laughs> why, would you, why would you want to leave them, I suppose? Well, this is probably true as well. But yes, I know there's a few people there who've had damage to their boats and not quite so keen. But... They're not so happy. Yeah. So is that one of the issues that you have? Is that, you know, there could just be a slightly inquisitive seal who decides to just visit a beach you know he's looking for an ice cream or something um really no okay no. So. <laughs> no. we do sometimes get the inquisitive ones but uh, no i mean 
you've got two species of seal. You've got the grey seal, which pups in the winter, and they come onto land to breed. So they choose certain areas called a rookery. Um, and in our area, we've got the Horsey, which is just above Great Yarmouth, and we've got Blakeney. And in the winter, starting about October, November time, you start to hear about the pups being born. It's funny because down in Cornwall, they start being born now, sort of August, September time, which is unheard of. But uh, I know there's a few heavy, heavily pregnant seals down there now. Goodness. So it works around the country and we end up getting the pups later, which is quite nice. And we can go out at Christmas and go and see them. But uh, yeah, the, the, the grey seals are born on our beaches and in mass numbers, whereas the harbour seals or common seals, which they're more well known as, uh, they are born normally on sandbanks. So you don't tend to see them being born. You don't tend to see mum and baby together. Um, they go in the water quite quickly after they've been born and stay with mum for only about three or four weeks. That is all. And then mum leaves them. They have to go and find their own food. So they don't stay with mum very long at all, which can be a problem for the pups. Um, mm. And when the pups are on the beach and this time of the year you know from sort of june july time we start seeing the common seal pups ended up on the beaches and there's no mum to mum around to to nurse them we usually find there's a problem they've either been abandoned it may be a mum that's um possibly a first-time mum who isn't really taking to motherhood um it, it could be the weather that we've had has separated them there's all sorts of reasons why that pup might be on the beach on its own but we are there to assess it and decide with other organizations as well whether we can help it um, and with that we have issues such as dogs on the beaches people disturbing them uh, with the gray seals in particular they get disturbed because they spend a lot more time on the beach um, commons i think that you, you see them spread out all around the country whereas grey seals there's such a lot of them in certain areas but they do they do travel quite distances as well quite, mm. quite large distances so just going back to the common seals you say they're normally um away from the shoreline um on sandbanks and so on again are there various places that, uh, around um, the coast here where that would i happen? think probably in this area, we've got quite a good colony of um, common seals um, in the Walton area, down the backwaters there, which yeah. is where they don't get disturbed, so they can pop mm. there. And also in the wash up at Lincolnshire, Kings Lynn area, um, there's quite a big colony there because there's a big sandbank where they all head out right. to. Yeah. And that tends to be where we release them when they've been rehabbed as well. They right. go out to the wash, we then release them in at low tide, and the tide takes them out to the sandbank, and so they can get used to being free again before they uh, learn to, to, to go on with their life yeah so what what then is the issues that you're, you're typically finding so uh, you know a member of the public going back to our example member of the public yes, on yes. a beach finds a seal there how do you uh, what, what are the issues that you found okay so i think particularly since the pandemic obviously people aren't traveling on holiday anywhere and we're finding mm. so many more people on the beaches so last year and this year as well, there are so many people going to our local beaches rather than abroad. So there's a lot more people. I think uh, probably the councils are having problems with parking as well, because there's just traffic everywhere if you go on a nice sunny day. Um, but if they're walking along the beach, maybe in the summer, some beaches, you're not allowed to have your dogs on the beach. So people take their dogs to another beach where they are allowed. And this is where we have bigger problems because the dogs are let off the lead and uh, you know how, how dogs can be really excitable they run off 
Um, people don't tend to have control of them very well sometimes. I'm not saying all, all dog owners, you know, there's a lot of responsible dog owners around that keep their dogs on a lead. But uh, we had an incident last year, actually, um, over at Bordsea, where a friend and I, both medics, were monitoring a seal that had been reported to us. And it was fine. We didn't see any reason for it to come in for any treatment or anything but it was resting and they spend a lot of time on the beach to rest they they feed in the water obviously because they feed on fish and crustaceans and things and they come out at uh, low tide normally or as the tide is dropping and rest on the beach to digest their food and rest and, and this is when we have trouble because dogs come running up and at uh, Bordsey we were just monitoring this little seal and a dog came almost jumped right over our heads and the seal went back in the water and that disturbs their resting pattern it it makes them um, weaker if they are weak it'll make them weaker because they they need to rest to to keep that strength up and the blubber that uh, that it's building up mm. so dogs particularly um a lot of disturbances also from people, uh, probably holidaymakers, not locals, because locals know how to react around uh, most of our wildlife. Uh, but holidaymakers turn up on the beach and they've never seen a seal before and they get close. They want to stroke it. They, we've also, I think at Horsey, we've had a report of someone trying to sit their child on a seal. This is just so dangerous. And mm. like I say, uh, if you put a, anybody near a wild animal, it is going to be frightened it's going to be distressed, you're going to frighten it, it's going to frighten you, um, you could get hurt, it could get hurt. So it's it's like, like I said before, with a with an animal like a wild lion, would you sit a child on a wild lion? No, you wouldn't. Well, mm. these animals uh, are the same. They've got very strong jaws because of what they eat, um, very strong teeth, big teeth, and they can cause a nasty bite and that bite can become infected and you can actually lose a joint if it doesn't get treated, lose a finger or anything. Uh, so, you know, they cover a lot of bacteria in their mouths, um, especially the common seal season at the moment, we're seeing a lot of blood around their mouths and there's a lot of bacteria and infection in their mouths. So if you get bitten by one of those, you are in big trouble. And again, that goes for dogs as well. You know, mm. if a dog is going to attack a seal, a seal can bite back and they will both get injured. We have to look after the seal. You're responsible for your own dog. Mm. And no one wants to spend money on the vets at the dog for the dog if it's uh, been hurt. Yeah, especially as you say, some of these uh, infections, uh, you've got no guarantee that antibiotics are going to do the well, job with those. The, because... This is the other thing, because if you go to hospital with a seal bite, they will just give you an antibiotic and most antibiotics don't work. We have a letter that we send out with our medics and if anyone gets bitten, because our medics occasionally get bitten, mm. um, that letter tells you the only two uh, medicines that will actually help. Um, clear up that infection and it's a nasty medicine that you have to take for at least two weeks double dose it makes you feel quite sick so it's just not worth getting bitten mm. you know. so, so your advice would be yes of course observe them from a distance yes, yeah. but don't get involved uh, you know you need a specialist like your team well, we have a telephone number that is 24 hours seven and we can give advice. There's always somebody who will answer that phone. It's a very busy line. So if you can't get through straight away, keep trying. Um, but we can give advice. And, and if we think it's necessary, we'll, we'll send a medic out. And it normally is necessary for common seals. Mm. Um, so what about the issues with, with plastics and pollution um, then, Joe? Is that, is that very much part of causing the problems here or some of it, the issues? It, it can be an issue. I think possibly that's... Maybe more of an issue, perhaps, for the cetaceans, the marine mammals, the the, uh, the whales and the dolphins that swim at sea. Um, but as far as 
of the plastics and litter that is on the beaches and floating around that can affect the seals and we have a lot of seals particularly in Horsey adult seals or, or juveniles that have swam into litter and got it mm. caught around their neck and it's the, the seal has continued to feed and got fatter and fatter and it's cut in and they can be garroted if it carries on we there's so many seals at Horsey that have got things around their neck and it's really difficult to catch the seal when they're amongst lots of other seals and so it can get bigger and bigger and get into a lot of trouble so yeah it, in particular frisbees i don't know if you've seen these the mm. open ring frisbees or flying rings they call them there's a an ongoing thing going on in with Horsey where they're trying to discourage people from taking them to the beach and also trying to discourage them from even buying them you know um up in Norfolk it's it's a big issue we've had several seals with the frisbees stuck around their neck and they can't get it off they've got short flippers they can't reach to push it off so it just cuts in and further and further but also a lot of fishing net that washes up and you know trawling net and stuff ghost netting that actually gets caught up in the sea and breaks off and then the seals are very inquisitive especially the gray seals they're so inquisitive they will swim into it and it, if it gets stuck it's, it's it's there until you can get it off mm. we did have one at felix though actually last year well we had two or three that went out with felix so last year one member of public managed to get the netting this is fish netting or trawler netting off um, by themselves but we wouldn't advise that at all it can be quite dangerous uh, for the public as well as for the seal and we have to assess the damage that it's caused as well before we can release it so we couldn't do much about that one but we had a, a seal with you know the plastic packaging that goes round i know bottles of drink mm. we had one uh, a felix stowe that had it round his neck mm. it was resting on the beach for quite a long while um we couldn't do anything until the tide had gone out because that way we could get the other side of him and catch him before he tried to get back in the sea and we managed to catch him in a, what we call a, a stretcher and we could safely cut that off before releasing him and because it hadn't cut in too much he could he could go uh, but sometimes they end up in wildlife hospital for several months we've got some mm. i think at, at king's lynn at the moment at the rspca that have uh, have gone into rehab yeah so you mentioned the uh, the hospitals what what facilities are there because you must have plenty of uh, need to make use of those but oh we struggle so we struggle so much with the wildlife hospitals they do a brilliant job um getting these seals in uh when they're really poorly making them better most of them anyway and and and, and then send them back out to the wild um but there's unlimited space and these wildlife hospitals don't just cater for seals they cater for all sorts of other animals like foxes swans geese ducks other birds owls all sorts um otters so if that pen has been taken up by another animal there's no room for a seal it's really difficult to know what to do with it so we have to be really really careful what we do and there are so limited spaces we have the Royal rspca east winch what, near Kings Lynn, um, they have the wildlife hospital, which can, I think, probably take quite a lot of seals, but it, it has to go through a process. You go into an isolation process where they have to be um, monitored so regularly and treated for their illness or, or injury or something. And until they can be treated on, they can't be moved on. So they're there for a month or two, and then they have to go on to an intermediate area where they're given the chance of um, going and swimming in water, getting a little bit more used to what they'll need to do in the wild, um, being still being fed medication, but probably whole fish with medication in it. And then they go onto the outdoor pools where the water is rotated uh, so that they learn to swim against the tide. So it is a really long process, three or four months sometimes for one seal. And you can imagine the, the cost of the uh, 
the fish that they have to provide. We don't actually have any wildlife hospitals ourselves, so we pick up the animals and we have to rely on those hospitals taking the seal and, and bringing it back to, to good health. Um, and also you're reliant on vets then supporting you in that process. And this is a big issue at the moment. We've got common seal pups at the moment that are being that have been born and they're very immune suppressed and we are finding they have a lot of injuries in their mouth. And this mouth, if it's not caught, if it's not treated quickly, can turn into a nasty uh, rotten mess and there's lots of blood and and it can finish the seal off if we don't get in there quickly. Uh, so we are relying on vets helping us to look at the injury, treat the injury. Uh, and if we pick up a seal and the vet can treat it, that's all well and good, but it's still got to go to somewhere to rehabilitate it afterwards. So we still need the space, but a vet will also be able to tell us whether that seal has got any chance because we are finding such nasty injuries in the mouth of the seals. Um, and we have got some scientific research ongoing to see if there's any reason for, for an increase in this particular problem. And this is just at their weaning age, when they're three or four years old, uh, three or four months old. They, once they leave their mum, they, they go to find food. They're not shown how to find food. They pick up something that they think might be edible and it may not, or it may have sharp edges, which could cut the mouth. And then this is where the infection comes in and, and, and causes them. And then they can't feed because they've got a sore mouth. So it's, it's an ongoing problem. So it's-, it's this, is, this is quite a recent, uh, occurrence is it Joe is it um, it's not a bit more occurrence it's just more and more of it now I mean right. I think the common seal season starts in June and July August time we are seeing more and more but once they've got past that stage there is another issue because once they're weaned and they're feeding all right if they haven't got this horrible mouth condition um if they're weak and not feeding enough then they can end up with lungworm which is another issue which causes blood coming from the mouth so it's always always blood from the mouth that we're worried about and they can get bitten they get bitten by each other you know the seals bite mm. each other they play and, and and get can get wounds but the salt water can heal a lot of superficial wounds so you know this is why we are trying to assess and understand what problems there are and what is needed before we call the vet and we don't call a vet out to that seal we'll probably take the seal to the vet okay but we are limited to vets this is our problem at the moment there's not many vets that get involved with seals they don't know anything about seals we took a seal to the vet last week who'd never ever seen a seal before right and she was fascinated she was really yeah. helpful really helpful unfortunately she had to put the seal to sleep because it was too sick um but she compared it to a dog she said i didn't realize they're just so much like a dog and, and they are called some people call them a sea dog you know but because they are very similar obviously they um spend more time at water and <laughs> there are differences um, <laughs> but yeah Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is the issue you've got that you may have these situations around the coast, but somehow, if they need longer-term uh, support, you've got to try and find uh, an animal hospital, whether that's East Winch or further afield. That's right. Uh, to get them to, and you need the support of a vet to be able to to embark right. on that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you know, your work is just the start of perhaps. Um, some longer term um, support that that seal or animal, whatever it might be, might require. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there's some very sad times, but also you can uh, be really pleased with the outcome if you see one of the seals that you've rescued being released at the other end. You know, and sometimes because they they put a, a tag on the seal when it's released, sometimes that seal may be seen again, and if you can catch the number, 
that it's great because they can look back at that number and you can find out if that was a seal that you may have been involved with originally. Goodness, goodness that's amazing. So, so just to, so how, what, do, what are you able to do as far as that's concerned? So I'm just thinking through, you know, you, again, we've just got this imaginary call out that you, you go along to. Um, do you actually then, from the point of view of, let's say, then a vet gets involved, let's say that you um, get, get some longer term care uh, addressed for the, for the seal, you're able to then follow what happens with that. Do they use any form of tagging other than just putting a number on the seal? OK, um, the way it works is when that seal is picked up, the vet treats it or we sometimes take it directly to the wildlife hospital. Um, if there's no space, the vet will give it treatment and we have got sort of a holding area uh, where there's a vet involved who could possibly treat it for a couple of days, no more, because it needs to be uh, taken to, to rehab. Sometimes it will be given a temporary name. When it goes to the wildlife hospital, any seal that goes in there gets given a number and it also is given a name. And in East Winch at the moment, the names are themed and the theme for the common seal season is dances and dancers. So we've had one go in recently called Limbo, Headbanger. Um, we've got, uh, what other ones I can't think of anymore. But yeah, so, you know, you get to know those, those names. And then if you see it, you don't actually get a chance to follow up that particular seal. But sometimes the wildlife hospital might put something in social media that brings that name up. And you go, oh, that's my one. <laughs> you know, it's quite, quite refreshing to see. You know, so do you, do you have any statistics on how many of the call outs that you go to end up with that? Um, being uh, animal being hospitalised? Uh, we do keep a database of all the animals. Uh, we, we have a system where volunteers, again, are on call. So the office is open. We have an office with uh, a couple of people there. And there's one phone number and they work from nine till five, Monday to Friday. Well, they wish they did. Um, <laughs> they work longer officially, but unofficially. Um, but between the other hours, the out of hours, um, that phone line is diverted to one of the out of hours team, of which one I am one of them. Um, and we take that call. So the public will phone that original number and the out of hours team will take that call. And from there on, it's decided what happens next. So. Mm that is an out of hours coordinator as opposed to an area coordinator so. right goodness yeah and and then from those then a proportion you're able to address and deal with on the beach so you can sort of get them you know make sure they're okay they're they're healthy they can return to the water or you can deal with the particular issue like as yeah. you said removing a net or something yeah. and get yeah. them back in but then yeah. there's others that will need some monitoring and you bring them into to observe those and then others that will need a longer term support that's uh, right off to yeah. wildlife hospital from that point yeah particularly with the gray seals we can actually monitor them for several days what we do is we use a like a sheet marker to spray them just a small blob on the back of them and then if that seal is being monitored and it it pops up somewhere else we'll know that we've already checked that seal and i think sometimes when the pups are being born places like in the farne islands in sea houses northumberland um they spray them a different colour so they know which seals are which when there's so many of them. So, yeah, you may see one with a colour on. Um, that's that's because it's possibly already been seen, you know, been Jeez. checked and we're monitoring, yeah. hoping it'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, very good. So this this is just amazing stuff, Joe. but I'm just really interested in how you ended up getting involved in all of this because this must absolutely use up every well, spare moment yeah, that you have. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I'm an animal lover anyway, and if I can help an animal, I will. Um, I started off learning to scuba dive in 2003, I think it was. And the guy who was teaching me had already done the course and had told me about it. But I'm a, I was at the time a single mum with four kids and I couldn't afford to train because it does cost a little bit to train. And this guy said, you really want to do it. You really want to do it. And I said, well, I do, but I can't afford to do it. And one of the other scuba divers that I was diving with um, won a voucher to do the training course. So I was given the voucher because he knew oh, I was keen to do it and he much. didn't need to do it. So he gave me the voucher. I did the course. And from then on, I got involved quite quickly. I think within a few weeks of doing the course, we had a call out to a harbour porpoise in the River Orwell. Unfortunately, it, it died and the gulls had been pecking at it. But um, I was first on scene. Um, nice. And, you know, you don't really know what to do because it was dead. Obviously, I couldn't do much with it. But uh, that body was still picked up to to find out what the cause of death was they can get mm. stranded quite easily if they got caught out in the tide but there may be other underlying reasons so we get involved with a, an organization called cetacean strandings investigation program CSIP, mm. uh, and, and they uh, are in london zoo a part there and and they sometimes take these animals for post-mortem so we had to arrange for this heavy uh, harbour porpoise it was about 1.8 meters um to be lifted and taken to the uh, to the zoo for post-mortem um so that was my first real call out and we always say to them don't expect to get a call out straight away when we train medics but it nearly always happens you get a call out the next day or so <laughs> what do i do it's quite yeah. daunting for the new new medics as well so we try and get an experienced medic to go with them because it's nice to see it done on a real animal rather than just on a model so and it gives them a bit of confidence quite quickly then uh, and yeah. you can let them have a go if they've got enough confidence to start with let them have a go under your supervision and uh, it, it just goes from there and yeah seals after seals and the lady who used to do the area coordination for suffolk moved right up to the orkney island so the the job became available so i said well i wouldn't mind doing it and, and from then on i think out of hours coordinator as well and you just the more you get involved the more you learn and and you know i i I'm quite pleased that I've done that because now I am quite advanced and there is an advanced course you can do as well, which I've done. And, and, and it's good to train others because as you get older, you need someone younger to do all the hard work. Yeah, yeah. The models are very heavy and, and you've got heavy pontoons and equipment that all has to be washed and cleaned at the end of the course, you know, so yes. yeah, we need lots of help. So it's good to train. Others. So how long has that been you've been the local coordinator? How long have you been doing that? I think it was probably quite quickly after I started. Um, probably about uh, what is it now? Probably six, six years, something like seven years, maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the more you get involved, the more you want to be involved, and it sort of takes over a bit. So you have to sort of say, no, give someone else something to do. You know. <laughs> so, um, so what part does diving have in the in the organisation? Because you know, okay, that's, that's referred to in the name. It's named British Divers Marine Life Rescue partly because the, the, the trustees were divers when they came across the seals in, in, in the first instance. Um, but the divers have got equipment that can be used on rescues. And this is more for cetaceans really than, than seals because we use the air cylinders that people dive with to, to fill the pontoons, which we refloat the whales with, um, tarpaulins, um, breathing equipment. We don't actually go in the water to rescue animals. We we, we can go up to sort of waist height with a life jacket on and we have to have a life jacket there's strict health and safety on that you know but um a lot of the equipment that divers have can be used like a dry suit 
if you're going to be refloating an animal in the water up to your waist, you need to keep yourself dry. So a dry suit, for, which is what divers use, uh, can be used in the water when you're refloating a whale because you don't just put them back in the water and say, off you go. You have to get them stable and, and make sure they're, they're strong enough to, to go. And they, if they've been on the beach for quite a long while, they, they need to get accustomed to the water again and let their body sort of readjust. So yeah, so yeah there's a lot of equipment that we can use. Okay, so it's really that experience of using the equipment that has the diving link that is still relevant yeah. now. Yeah. 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 And do you continue diving since you first did your... Um, <laughs> um, I'm a bit course? of a warm water diver now. I used to oh, dive right. for shores, but uh, getting older and uh, having other commitments such as dogs and and pets and, and the seal rescue, um, don't find the time really. But uh, if we go on holiday, I usually try and sneak a dive in here and there. But oh, obviously, that's not happened for a couple of years. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Oh, you've been able to keep that running. Excellent yeah. stuff. So, what, what, you know, for where you sit now, what are the current issues facing um, this charity, facing this work? What, what are the bits that you need support from people on? What's the financial issues look like? Because lots of charities have been impacted over the last couple uh, of years. In this last year, I think the financial issue is probably the cost of the vet. I mean, some vets are more helpful than others as far as the cost is concerned because they can help with sort of wildlife help. But uh, it's not just the cost. It's actually trying to get vets involved who want to help these animals because they say they are either large animal vets like deal with horses or they're a small animal vet. Small animal vets, I mean, the, the pups we're dealing with are only small animals. They're, what, 10, 15 kilos possibly. So they are the same sort of size as a dog. Um, but they, a lot of them are not able to help us. So we're trying to recruit more vets that can help us locally so we don't have to transport a sick animal too far before it can get treatment or at least get assessed so uh, financially as well this year we have had so many seal pups that have had to be put to sleep so mm. many not just because there's not enough space in wildlife rehab but because they are so sick we have had so many sick common seal pups this season and it's ongoing daily so that is a big cost to us is that, is that connected with that mouth issue that you were... It is at the moment. I mean, not everything, because there are other underlying issues as well, sometimes as well as the mouth rot uh, yeah. cases that we're seeing. But, uh, but yeah, sometimes, I mean, if they're injured, they've got to be treated, antibiotics and, you know, there's medicines involved. So, yeah, that is quite a big cost for us at the moment. And obviously our medics um are transporting these seals so there's a, there's quite a large cost goes to the fuel and transporting and we have to be really careful with the welfare of the animal when we're transporting it there are laws to say how we have to transport a wild animal um they can be say cooked uh is is not the best word to use but in this sort of temperature if you've got a seal mm. in a car and you've got no air con or you've got no way of cooling them down they can overheat and that can kill them so you know like yeah. you can a dog and obviously they're used to the sea so they're used to cooler water so so yeah. things like that so a lot of our medics um do a lot of driving for us which is all voluntarily but you know it's all comes to a cost yeah end. most definitely and what about the public as a whole then what help do you need from the public with these issues because i'm sure people are very well meaning of course this is this is the trouble because the public i wouldn't i wouldn't use the word ignorant but uh want to help but are not aware of how these animals should be treated so some of the things they do can cause more problems so when we get a call the public will say i've tried to put it back in the water we don't want them to do that 
they've poured water over them. We don't want them to do that because if it's a sick animal, we don't want to make it sicker by making it sudden shock to the system. Um, and we don't want them to touch them or pick them up or anything. We want them to call us rather than get involved themselves. I know they're well We had a lady up in Norfolk only a couple of weeks ago that actually went into the sea, knee deep, neck deep, sorry, and grabbed a seal out of the water. Now, it's dangerous for her to do that. It's dangerous for the seal because we are taught how to handle a seal properly. Uh, but also that lady could have been bitten, but then she's also putting herself at risk in the sea. So we don't want to see people doing that either. <laughs> you know, we, we can tell you what's the best thing to do. And if that seal is struggling, we don't, we don't even go in the water and get them out. Let alone the public. We have to monitor them and wait until they come to us. Some seals will come to us because they seem to need to. They crying. Some, some pups, very young pups, will cry out as if they, they want something. And it's probably because they need their mom. And they're mm. coming to us because we're another living being, I suppose. Um, but please, please don't go to the seal. Keep your distance and give us a call. That's the most important thing they can do. Yeah. Uh, seals spend a lot of time on the beach, probably as much as they do in the sea, if not more. So for many of them, they're just doing what they Want they to think do. it's natural. They think that uh, they don't realise they're a, they're a marine animal. They breathe air the same as we do. If you put them in the water, you could drown them if they're sick. Yeah. So the best thing to do, I mean, they cover them with towels and blankets and things as well. They don't need to be kept warm most of the time. If they're sick, they've got a temperature, you know. So yeah, they're doing yeah. the wrong thing again. But they don't mean they're trying to help. But they're better off calling us to get advice. Yeah. Yeah. So well important uh messages there joe and i've learned a huge amount just <laughs> talking to you about all these amazing well, that's just <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes and i'm sure further afield there's more astonishing stories with whales and horses oh, whales and, and dolphins so. yeah just not many in our area but of course you never say never so there's been several of those in the thames history and even right. further down the thames isn't there yeah and yeah, again is that that's increased significantly on what... increasing i think partly because the thames is healthier yeah. because of the environment you know and the changes we're trying to do to help the wildlife but i think when you see animals on the on the land you can you you know what you can do but you don't realize what is going on in the sea so many pollutants things in the sea and it all makes animals weaker in the sea you know going right down to the food chain you know even the smaller creatures that our whales and dolphins eat you know if, if they're polluted then our animals are eating the pollutants yeah you know so it's it's a long-term worry really yeah yeah and obviously the damage that that could be causing to you know their own navigation systems or something you know if they're sick this is another thing i don't know if you've heard about the uh, the whales in the wash we had a lot of sperm whales wash up one year i think there must have been 35 across europe and, and uh, a lot of people said why can't you drag it back out to sea why can't you um make it better or why can't you put it to sleep to put it out of its misery they're such a big animal you can't really put it to sleep unfortunately they're on the beach it's because they're already uh, malnourished weakened and and they're not going to be strong enough to go back out in the sea people don't realize our sea all around the uk is very shallow and these animals should be in deep water where they can feed and if they try and feed in our waters there's nothing for them to feed on that they're used to so I mean, we've not found massive amounts of plastics in their bodies but we've just found that they've been so underweight and not fed recently because of the wrong area mm. so this is what happens you can't just put an animal that is suffering back out to sea you're going to make it suffer further mm. you know and people don't understand that but we do try and get it across you know 
Yeah. Uh, and even if an animal is suffering on the beach that we can't save, we will send medics out there because it's good to educate the public when they're there. So. Yeah. And then some of those I'm assuming are they would carry out a post-mortem to understand the cause of death if there looks like a, a trend. That's right. Again, the seasick team um, with the bigger animals, you can't pick up a sperm whale and take it down to London Zoo. So <laughs> they will send a team out and they will do a, a necropsy, it's called, on right. the beach. And they yeah. will go into the body. They will check the brain. They will check the lungs, the stomach, the kidneys, everything in that body, the heart. And they will find a lungworm burden, or possibly the different diseases and the different um, parasites that they will find. And they can be overcome by them, which causes the death. They can have brain problems, um, meningitis, things like that. So, yeah, they do do that because it's good to know what we're up against. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the team will go out there and do that as soon as they can. With a small animal, they'll take it back to this, to their um, surgery um, or otherwise they'll do it on site. And then that body has to be removed. Yeah. And usually if a body uh, washes up on public land, we have to ask the council to dispose of it because it's their responsibility. You can't leave a, a carcass on the beach like that. No, no, goodness. It's a, it's a lot to think about. And we've got a lot of shoreline. Uh, <laughs> we do have a lot of shoreline. And, you know, rivers. And, and so it's mostly on. accessible too now. I think, you know, there's a coastal walk all around Britain now, isn't there? So anyone can walk along there and come across one of these animals anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, as you say, the issue is if we do come across them, then make sure that we call the experts rather than try and, you know, That's however right. well-meaning we might intend to be. We're it probably not, not be. doing what they... It's detrimental yeah. to the animal, possibly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, important stuff. Joe, that's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. I hope we haven't gone on too much. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> There's so much more. <laughs> yeah, I can well imagine. There must be so much um, that you, you, know, you get involved in. And you know so many things personally that you're interested in, um, That's with right, wildlife yeah. and so on. Yeah. But and we do have Facebook pages, actually. It's worth mentioning because you can follow what we do. We, we have a Facebook page for the local area. Um, it's BDMLR East Anglia Public, and anyone can join that. And we have a closed group for the medics as well, um, so don't choose the wrong one. And and from there you can see where things have been going on because we report it quite regularly and it's it's almost daily at the moment so you'll see you know if you've reported a pup you may see it come up on that on that site so yeah. i think the head office covers it as well they have a main one they have twitter they have all the social media just giving you know we you know we hopefully we're getting the awareness out there i go out to see schools and children because i think children if they're educated they can educate the parents some of the time mm. so you know it's important to to get involved with the public as much as we can and fundraising events so yeah amazing it's stuff. a busy old time <laughs> yeah well thank you very much thanks for what you do and thanks for sharing it with us today i really enjoyed understanding something more of of the work that goes on around the shoreline yeah excellent thank you <laughs> well i certainly learnt plenty uh, in talking to Joe, plenty of things that I'd never understood or even thought about before. So that was incredibly helpful and I hope it was of some use to you as well. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of Suffolk Money, supported by Kingsfleet Wealth. I also just want to thank my team for putting everything together. So thank you to Kevin and to Sally for all their hard work and support in preparing this episode. And of course, to Joe, our guest, who was absolutely fascinating and supremely knowledgeable. I hope you'll join us again. Please do subscribe 
to this podcast so that you're always updated on the most recent episode. And if you can, please like it and uh, put some comments in. And if there's any good stories that you feel that we could cover, then please do get in touch. <laughs>